Oh, good evening, everyone. It's uh, t really, really lovely uh, to see you all. Great that we can uh, gather together again uh, of an evening uh, and worship the Lord. Uh, in the service uh, today, Neil will be continuing to uh, take us through Mark's Gospel, introducing Jesus, and tonight he'll be speaking to us uh, about uh, Jesus, the one who has great compassion and power uh, and authority over sickness uh, and death as well. So we look forward to uh, hearing from Neil. And also, Marta will be uh, we're inviting Marta up uh, just to share her testimony uh, with us uh, a little bit later uh, in the service. So that's uh, where we go. Uh, let me uh, just uh, pray for us uh, before we start. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you that we can gather together uh, this evening. I do pray that uh, by your Spirit you would be at work in our hearts. I pray that as uh, we sing songs of praise, as we come before you in prayer, uh, as we sit uh, under your word and have it preached to us, we pray that you would be uh, doing a job of work in our hearts. That you might be shaping us, moulding us to be more like the Lord Jesus. Help us to submit ourselves to you uh, this evening as we journey through the service. Might you speak to us. Uh, might we be changed by that encounter. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the psalmist, uh, in Psalm 144, verses 31 through 34, he writes this. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. And we have so many reasons, don't we, uh, to rejoice in the Lord, all that he has done for us through sending his son to live the life that we should have lived and then die the death that we deserve, being raised up to life, ascended to heaven, and now ruling and reigning. And as we wait for him to return, to bring us back to himself. And that causes us, doesn't it, our hearts to sing. We praise him for all that he has done, but we know that uh, as we look back uh, at the last week, maybe the last day, maybe even the last hour, uh, before coming out uh, here, uh, we look back and we find that actually our lives haven't always uh, reflected uh, that glory and uh, that love that he has shown to us, his care and his compassion for us. Our hearts have been wayward and we've sought our own desires rather than the desires of the king. So it's right for us just to spend a moment now to bring to mind uh, the times where we've really live for ourselves and not for him, and just to say sorry uh, to our Father in heaven. So let's just take a moment in the quietness of our own hearts uh, to bring to mind the times where we have lived for ourselves, just to say sorry to him. And I'll then say some words of confession, actually we'll say words of confession together. But let's just take a moment to reflect. Some words of confession will come up on the screen. Uh, let's, uh, let's say these words uh, together. God of mercy, we acknowledge that we have sinned. We turn from the wrong that we have thought and said and done and are mindful of all that we have failed to do. For the sake of Jesus who died for us, forgive us all that is past. And help us to live each day in the light of Christ our Lord. Amen. I hear these uh, words of comfort knowing that uh, because of all that uh, the Lord has done for us and through uh, Christ's work on the cross that we uh, can know that forgiveness. So hear these words of comfort. Know that through Christ's work on the cross that God our Father is pleased to forgive us our sins and bring us to the eternal joy of his kingdom where dust and ashes have no dominion. Amen. Uh, as you know, as we've uh, been working our way through uh, Mark's Gospel of, of an evening, we've also been inviting people to come up uh, and share something of their, uh, their own testimonies, uh, the way that the Lord has been at work in their hearts, 
uh, brought them to a saving knowledge uh, of himself and a great way for us to get to know uh, people in our fellowship as well. Uh, and Marta, can I invite you to come up? Uh, Marta has uh, very kindly agreed uh, to share uh, something of her story uh, with us uh, tonight. Now Marta, not everybody will know who you are. Um, how long have you been here at uh, Long Crendon? Uh, well, I moved to the area about three and a half months ago to Hedenham, so I've um, been coming to Long Crendon since about then. Fabulous. Well, I won't steal any of your thunder, I'll just uh, allow you to, uh, to share what the Lord's laid on your heart. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity to share my testimony. So, um, I'm Marta. Um, I grew up in South Africa. Um, I, my parents are Portuguese, so I grew up in a Portuguese family. Um, Catholic, very traditional. We went to church every week. We were very involved with the church. Um, and I, I knew God as he really was a distant God to me. And to kind of give you an illustration of that, in South Africa, it gets really hot, um, as you can, as you probably know. And in the summer, you can get temperatures of 30, 40 degrees. And, you know, the, the days sort of build up with this um, hot, this heat. And in the afternoons, the thunderclouds start building, big dark thunderclouds. And we have these massive thunderstorms and lightning and thunderstorms. And I remember as a child, somebody telling me, probably quite meanly, but telling me that when it was um, thundering and lightning like that, that was God up in the heavens, because uh, he was angry with me, and he was uh, throwing his furniture around and t- turning his lights on and off. And um, of course, <laughs> as I grew older and I learned geography and weather patterns and all that, I knew that wasn't true, but that image of God being... Um, angry really stuck with me and I knew God was a holy God and I knew he was a God of judgment and that was the overriding feeling I had of who God was and I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus and but I was still very involved in the church and church life our family were very involved um, I left I grew up on a farm and um, I was always attracted to the brightity lights um, the next town, the next city, always thinking that that was where the, the great excitement was. And I did move um, away from the farm. I moved to Johannesburg. Um, and then, of course, I ended up in London, the bright city lights of London. And um, I, uh, I think I was still chasing those bright city lights and experiences, traveling a lot. I used to travel um, I had family in New Zealand and would travel back to South Africa and travel Europe and that was where I found where my satisfaction was. I married early as well and unfortunately um, our marriage ended after five years. Um, My husband left me for someone else and although I was quite bruised from that experience, I was quite self-sufficient and um, independent. And I just thought I could just carry on and I'll pick myself up from this and everything will be fine. And um, unfortunately, uh, I ended up, and during this time I also lived in New York um, and I moved, I just moved around a lot and I felt very much like tumbleweed being blown from place to place, um, but still chasing that satisfaction of bright city lights and excitement. And um, I ended up unfortunately about 10 years after the end of my marriage in an abusive relationship and unfortunately I could see um, just not only my own pain in that relationship but I could see the pain of the person, my partner who was abusing me and I recognised life choices that had been made many years before was impacting what was going on and although I never recognised that as sin I could see the, the painful consequences of making decisions like that um, and um, I ended up having to leave this the relationship in the middle of the night and I was in accommodation, um, in safe accommodation, living in North London. And um, this is when it gets really exciting because I was, I was feeling very sorry for myself, of course, and um, I was living in a lovely uh, flat in North London, and, but it, the, the owners of it were about to renovate it and they had it, they had uh, allowed me to stay there for a temporary amount of time and they, um, it was very cold. They didn't have double glazing and they were about to renovate that. But anyway, all to tell you that um, is that I woke up Christmas morning 
and of course feeling very miserable and I thought to myself what am I going to do today Christmas day I haven't made any plans I didn't want to see anybody and I remembered that there was a church on the corner and I thought to myself ah the church will be open I can go for a service and the the reason for going was to go and find warmth I wanted somewhere just to be somewhere warm for, for a little bit I didn't want to engage with anybody and I had this idea in my head that I was going to go in and I was going to sit back and I wasn't going to talk to anybody and just get out as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. And um, I just imagined not many people being there either. Anyway, I walked in and the first thing that hit me was this warmth that did come towards me um, and the smell of gingerbread biscuits as well, <laughs> which kind of struck me. And there were two welcome people at the door. And the church was full. It was absolutely packed. And there was no space at the back for me to go and be anonymous at the back. And um, I was, I thought, I'm not going to go in. I don't want to talk to anybody. I definitely don't want to talk to the people at the door. And I was just about to turn around when I saw a teenager um, sitting on one of the chairs. And she had beckoned me over to come and sit next to her. And I thought to myself, well, I can't say no to a teenager. I can say no to these adults, but I can't say no to a teenager. So um, I went and sat next to her. And I don't really remember much of the service, to be honest. But I do remember when the minister said, holy, 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 um, which is what we were just singing now as well, is I just remember feeling just struck down. I wasn't actually physically struck down, but I felt like I was on the ground. And I remember just coming face to face of the shame that I was feeling of where I was and uh, what I had done and where I'd been and the decisions I'd made. And Mm -hmm. I felt really um, just, I I just felt really struck down by that. I don't really remember very much um, of the rest of uh, the the service. Um, I left the service and um, over the next day, um, I, I literally just went home and slept. Uh, I think that's all I just could do. I felt so exhausted, went home and slept. And the next, um, when I woke up again, I knew something had changed, but I didn't really know what had changed. I didn't have anyone following me up from the church or anything like that. And I I know that I've been left to my own devices. Nothing really would have been changed. But I know that God put people in my path after that. I met people, at the time it felt like random um, encounters. I didn't see any connection with them. But I know that it was probably about a year later when I could look back and see all those connections where God had put people in my life um, who said things to me. Um, I know before this happened, People, I had friends, a friend and family members who said they were praying for me and I wasn't really interested. But now when people said they were praying for me, I wanted to know why they were praying and we ended up having faith conversations. Um, just, just people that I met, um, in just unexpected places and they all, um, helped me to start seeking for myself who this God was and I, I joined a seekers, um, Bible study. And, um, and I started just exploring and understanding more about who this God was. And I came to know um, that God wasn't just this God of justice and judgment and holy. He's, he is that, but he's so much more and he's a God of mercy and compassion and love. Um, and there were some really important um, Bible passages that helped me with that as well. Um, the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 um, really struck me as well. I really felt like um, I, I could resonate with being those dry bones and I could feel my bones rattling and the skin um, being formed again. Um, and um, yeah, there were many passages like that that really struck me and um, I was really um, grateful to be plucked out of death um, and knowing that Jesus died for me. Um, and it's made a big difference to my life. Um, I feel uh, it's changed relationships, it's changed relationships with my mum in particular, um, but with other people. And um, yeah, I know that I'm a redeemed um, daughter of the King, and um, that makes me feel amazing and really peaceful, and I'm comforted by that. Thank you.
Martha, thank you so much indeed uh, for sharing with us. Thank you again for sharing uh, your powerful testimony of how the Lord's been at work uh, in your heart. So we come now to a time of prayer. So in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, let's pray to the Father. And we thank you for the work of salvation that you have done in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can come before you as our Heavenly Father. And we pray for the ministries in this church. Now, Father, we thank you for the many people who give of their time and their resources and gifts to help others grow in love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We pray that over the summer, those who serve would have been able to enjoy some rest. We pray that they would return to their ministries refreshed. And we pray that you would, by your spirit, empower their witness and work. Might their hearts rejoice in serving you in the knowledge that nothing they do for you is in vain. Father, we pray also that you would raise up people uh, to serve in those ministries where we have a need. And this evening we pray particularly for the tech desk and for the area of youth and children. Now please would you stir the hearts of people that they might serve you in these ministries in this place with joy. And Father, we also do pray for Nathan and Lisa uh, holidaying this week. Grant them a refreshment. And please would you empower their witness uh, that the young people in our midst might make a decision in their hearts to live for you and trust in the Lord Jesus. And we pray for the, uh, the young people who are part of this church. And we pray for those who are readying themselves to return to university or go off to university for the first time. And we pray that they would know our prayer support for them. Father, would you please surround them with good Christian friends at university? Would you please draw them into the fellowship of a church in their university or town that is faithful to the gospel? And Father, we pray uh, that the, while they are far from us, that they might grow in love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we also pray for those children uh, who've taken exams and maybe have not done as well as they had hoped. And Father, I pray that they might have the assurance that they are of infinite value in your eyes and as your children. Their dignity and worth is not derived from exam results, but found in their standing in Christ. Father, we thank you for the many people you are drawing into this worshipping community. We pray that it would please you to continue that work. And Father, we do thank you for Marta and the testimony that she has shared with us this evening. Thank you that uh, you have in, you've broken into her life in the most amazing way. Uh, the light of the cities was a poor facsimile of Jesus, the light of the world. I thank you for the warm welcome that she received at church uh, when she went that cold Christmas day. I'm warming her up. Thank you that you have breathed new life into dry bones. And Father, we just pray that by your spirit that you would uh, continue to hold Martyr. Please would you keep her strong in the Lord. Might she not be distracted by the things of the world, uh, but live for you, the one who is holy, holy, holy. And we pray for those in our fellowship who are sick or mourning. And we pray for Peter and for Wendy Hopcroft particularly. Father, we ask that you would free his body from the leukemia. Grant the medics and the nurses wisdom in their treatment of him. We pray that Wendy and Peter might know your peace and trust in your sovereignty, grace and goodness. And we pray in this season of trial that, Father, we pray that you would break into Peter's heart. Might he know you and trust you as his Lord and Saviour. We also pray for Peter Hodson uh, this evening. Uh, Father, we just pray for your healing hand to be upon him. Comfort him, we pray. Father, we thank you for the healing work that you've done on Ros's knee. Uh, thank you that the infection has been healed and we pray uh, that she would regain full strength in her knee. And Father, we pray for Grant as well this evening, having been evicted from his home. 
Would you please provide him with stable and safe accommodation for him and for Archie? Please would you comfort him and might he know your peace in this season of great turmoil? Would you please hold him fast? Uh, In a moment of silence, let's lift up before the Lord those known to us who are suffering at this time and need the presence of the Lord with them. And Father, we pray for the forthcoming men's breakfast. We pray that many would be invited to come. And Father, we pray that many would sign up. (coughs) Please would you use Colin's testimony to shine the light of your goodness, mercy, grace and love into the hearts of those who do not yet know you. Might hearts that are far from you be convicted and be turned back to you in repentance and faith for your glory. Father, as we come to the reading and the preaching of your word this evening, Father, I do pray that as Thelma comes to read, I pray that she would read with great confidence and with great clarity. Might our ears be open to your word. I pray for Neil as well as uh, he unfolds scripture to us. Anoint his lips, we pray, that he might speak with uh, great authority the words that you have given him. That our hearts might be receptive to the truths that you have spoken. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our reading this evening is from Mark's Gospel, verses 21 to 43. It's a real joy to read and share the scriptures with you. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers, named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you, Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James, When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders to let, not to let anyone know about this, and told them to give her something to eat.
Good evening, everybody. Thank you, Salma, for reading for us. Let's pray as we come to, to God's Word. Father God, as we uh, sang earlier on, earlier on we want to, to see Jesus. We pray you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see him. Help us to know his, his power, his compassion. Lord, we want our lives to be changed as we encounter him this evening. So take away our fears, our anxieties, and replace them with a trust in him, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, even if we are Christians here this evening, and we, we know that God is in control of our lives, I wonder how often we live as if we are in control of our lives. We expect that things will always cont- carry on as they have done. And so we make plans for, for next week, next month, next year, five years, ten years hence, assuming that nothing will change. And then something unexpected comes along, which um, makes us realize that that is not the case. At a global level, the COVID pandemic, wildfires throughout the world, conflicts within nations or between nations, they've all made us realize just how little control the human race has. At a personal level, diagnosis of an illness, maybe the loss of a loved one, can all make us realize just how dangerous it is to to plan too far ahead, so uncertain is our world. And in each case, the feeling we're often left with is that of fear. Fear, ultimately, of death. We're in the middle of a sermon series in Mark's Gospel, which has been helping us to get to know Jesus. And in the last two weeks, we've seen how he has the power to save His power of creation meant uh, he was able to save his disciples from a storm on the the lake of Galilee when they thought they were going to drown. His power over demons meant he was able to save a man possessed by a whole legion of demons, someone who lived among the tombs, among the dead. Such was his strength and no one was able to bind him. He was able to tear chains apart. And in each case, Jesus showed his power to save but he also showed his compassion. When the disciples in the boat asked him, don't you care if we drown? He showed them his compassion by commanding the the storm to stop. And it did. After he'd released the demon-possessed man, he, he said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy or compassion on you. Well, our passage this evening includes two more stories in which um, Jesus demonstrates his power uh, and his compassion. But as with the previous two stories, they remove one type of fear, an unhealthy fear and the dangers, the uncertainties of this world, and they replace it with a different fear, a healthy fear of the Lord and a trust in him. So we're going to look at it under three headings. Uh, Jesus' compassion on those who fear illness and death. Jesus has power over illness and death. And Jesus wants us to fear and trust him instead of fearing illness and death. Let's start with the first of those. Jesus has compassion on those who fear illness and death. If you've got your Bibles handy there, do please have a look at it, because here we've got a crowd gathering around Jesus by the lake. And we're told there there's a man called Jairus, whose daughter is dying. That any, like any father in such a situation, Jairus is prepared to do anything to save her from death. And that includes throwing himself at the feet of Jesus and pleading desperately with him to come and heal his daughter. My little daughter is dying, he says. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. What we also learn about this man is that he's a synagogue leader. That's easy to read and gloss over, but for someone with that status, that importance, it would have been a very humbling thing to fall at the feet of Jesus. 
especially when some of the Jewish leaders were actually trying to kill him at that time. But such is his desperation. There's nothing more disturbing than the suffering of a child. When children are in danger, it brings out extreme emotions in us. They're dependent on us as adults, and it makes us feel we've failed in our responsibility to protect them. It's tragic to hear about the death of a girl at the Repton camp last week, and our hearts go out to her parents. In this story, Jesus shows great compassion for the girl, and he has compassion for the father who cries out to him in desperation. He's not going to ignore his cry for help. Because as the Bible tells us, God has compassion on those who cry out to him. Psalm 55 says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. And so we're told in verse 24, Jesus went with him. But as Jesus goes off with Jairus, he's interrupted by someone who is a a desperate need, a woman who's been bleeding for, for 12 years, a woman who's described in verse 26 as someone who had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. There's no NHS available. Um, but this, money had, this woman had money, and so she could afford to pay for, for doctors. But as she went from doctor to doctor, desperately seeking a cure for her illness, none of them was able to heal her. And she grows more and more desperate and depressed. Just to make it worse, her illness meant that under Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean and would have been treated as a social and religious outcast. She wouldn't have been allowed into the synagogue. She probably wouldn't even have been able to be in the crowd and certainly shouldn't have touched Jesus. But Jesus is not going to ignore her cry for help because he has compassion on those who suffer. And the interesting thing about this little episode is that with all the crowd pressing around him, Jesus Jesus would take an interest in an individual person. Look at the way Mark emphasizes the number of people crowding Round. Verse 21 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Verse 24, Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So in order to get near Jesus, the woman we're told in verse 27 says, came up behind him in the crowd to touch his cloak. The ironic thing about crowds is that they can become a faceless mass. Older people may look at a a group of young people hanging around and be intimidated by them because together they're no longer pleasant youngsters, each with their own personality, but a threatening mass. But for Jesus, although he has people pressing in on all sides... The difference is it's not just a mass, it's not just a crowd, it's made up of individuals with individual needs. And so when he's touched by one specific person, it says in verse 30, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Well, the disciples think, well, what a stupid question is that? There are loads of people touching you. You see the crowds crowding against you, he says. They say, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus knows that this one person touched him for a specific reason, to be healed of her illness. And this one person is important to Jesus. Although we're told it was because God loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world, Jesus isn't just interested in the human race in general. He's interested in the lives of individual people. Jesus isn't like a GP who only has a certain number of people he can fit into his day. It's time for everyone who comes to him. He won't turn away anyone, whatever their race, class, or age. And you may be sitting here feeling quite insignificant. Maybe you compare yourself with others and think, well, I'm not particularly interesting particularly attractive, particularly 
intelligent. I don't have many friends. I'm not even very good at being a Christian. Why would Jesus be interested in me? Well, this woman was important to Jesus. And likewise, so is each one of us here important to Jesus. And so we're told in verse 33 that the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She thinks Jesus will be angry at her. A bit like Martha was saying earlier on, she had this idea of Jesus being a holy God, angry at this, what she's done. She's afraid, but actually, Jesus is full of compassion and says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Not only does Jesus have compassion, Jesus also shows that he has power over illness and death. While Jesus is busy healing this woman, what about our man Jairus? How must he have been feeling? I'm sure he would have felt sorry for the woman, but you know, with our natural human self-centeredness, I expect that all he could really cope with at that time was his daughter. For him, every minute counted. He couldn't afford any delay. It would be like being maybe in the back of an ambulance, uh, his daughter racing to the hospital to, to save her. And the ambulance driver stops to look after someone with a minor injury. Imagine how he was feeling. Every second is critical. And sure enough, the delay proves fatal. In verse 35, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Well, Jesus overhears what they say and he tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. He leaves the crowd behind and he goes on with Peter, James and John to the home of Jairus. And for the third time we're reminded that he is a synagogue leader, in case you'd missed that point. And when Jesus arrives, he sees a commotion. People crying and, and wailing loudly, a public display of grief like that's still part of the culture in the Middle East today. And Jesus goes in and says to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him. Look, mate, you know when somebody is dead. Yes, she may be lying down looking like she's asleep, but she's not breathing. She has no pulse. What are you talking about? Why does Jesus use that expression? Well, let's go back to John 11 again, because there Jesus uses the same description for Lazarus after he died. It says there, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So what's the difference between sleep and death? Well, put simply, when you're asleep, you eventually wake up. When you're dead, you don't wake up. But what Jesus is saying here is that when you trust in him, dying is like going to sleep and waking up in a different place. And when you do wake up, it won't be like a, a Monday morning feeling. Do I have to go to work today? Just leave me alone to, to sleep in? It'll be like waking up on a spring day after the darkness of winter or an animal coming out of hibernation. Everything seems wonderful. Everything seems alive. And when we start to look at other descriptions of death in the Bible, what we, we find is that death is often referred to as sleep. If you've got your Bibles handy, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. There Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica says this in verse 13, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep 
or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. And he goes on to say that when Jesus comes again, in verse 17, we who are still alive and are left, we caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And that's what I'd like to do this evening, encourage you with these words that death is not the end. If death can be as natural as falling asleep, it can be something to look forward to. In the same same way we can look forward to falling into bed at the end of a hard day, waking up with renewed vigour and refreshment, so too we can look forward to death as falling asleep in Christ and waking up to be with him. Going back to the story, in Mark, Jesus tells everyone to leave apart from the child's mother and father and the three other disciples. He goes into the room where the child lies motionless on the bed. And we're told, he took her by the hand and said to her, in Aramaic, his own language, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. A little detail of her age, you may have noticed, corresponds to the length of time the other woman had been, been ill. And at seeing the girl come to life, we're told they were completely astonished. Well, wouldn't we all be if we saw that happen? Jesus demonstrates his power over death with a simple command. It was the same in the other two incidents in which Jesus raised uh, the dead to the son of the widow of Nain. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Or to Lazarus in the tomb, he said, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus has shown his power over illness with the woman who was bleeding. He now shows us his power over death. So what do we do with this? What's the lesson Jesus wants us to learn from these two incidents? Well, it's what, that Jesus wants us to fear and trust him instead of fearing illness and death. Let's go back to verse 23, where Jairus asks Jesus to go with him to the house, and we're told that Jesus went with him. So one of you are thinking, well, why does he allow himself to be delayed by that incident with the woman who is bleeding? Why don't he do some sort of triage and say to the woman, look, I can see you're not well, but your situation is not critical. Hang on for a minute while I go and deal with this emergency. If you know the story of Lazarus, um, you'll know there are many similarities between the two stories. There too, a word came to Jesus that his friend Lazarus was, uh, was dying. And yet instead of rushing to, to go and do something about it, he waited two days. And as a result, when he arrives, Lazarus is dead. And his sisters uh, are not too pleased with Jesus. They say, look, if you had arrived here earlier, he would not be dead. Why does he wait? Well, let's go back again to John 11 and have a look. Because in verse 14, Jesus says to his disciples that Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Pretty weird thing to say. Why? So that you may believe. The reason Jesus doesn't go to Lazarus straight away, and no doubt the reason he doesn't go to Jairus' daughter straight away, is because he wants people to know He's not just an amazing doctor, an amazing healer, but he has power even over death. He wants them to believe that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, they do not need to be afraid of death. And so as the people come running from the house of Jairus to say, it's too late, your daughter is dead, he says to Jairus these very important words, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe what? Well, Jairus did believe that Jesus could heal his daughter. Back in verse 23, he says, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Not that she might be healed, but that she will be healed. He knew he, that he had the power to heal. 
But even when people come from his house and said, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? He still puts his trust in Jesus. It would have been the easiest thing for Jairus to say, okay, Jesus, it's, it's too late now. You don't need to waste your time anymore. There's nothing more you can do. I know you've healed people, uh, but no one can bring someone back from the dead. This lot thought it was a bit weird anyway, you know, me falling on my knees and, and pleading with you, me, a synagogue ruler. I might be able to get away with that one. But if I take you into my house now, they will think I'm just totally crazy. They will laugh at you if you say the child isn't dead but asleep. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And Jairus trusted in Jesus at considerable risk to what people thought of him. As did the sick woman. It wasn't just some sort of magic that meant if anyone touched Jesus, they were were automatically healed. As Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. We too are required to make a response to Jesus without worrying about what people think about us, however crazy they may think we are. And that's not just our initial confession of faith, but a renewing of that confession every day in the way we live out our lives in total dependence on him. I wonder, when was the last time we took a risk for Jesus and were willing to make ourselves look foolish for him? Why should we place such faith in Jesus? Well, because he's not merely able to save us from physical death and give us a few extra years to live But his promise is that we will never die. Go back to John 11. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus has power over death, and not just the power to bring others back to life, but to come back to life himself. His own resurrection from the dead uh, that we looked at this morning shows us that death is not the end. We don't need to fear death if we trust in Jesus. So why is it, and even if we are Christians here this evening, that we are so often afraid of death? Why is it that Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid? I wonder if it's because we've become so attached to this world that we can't believe there could be anything better. It was quite a few years ago now that my my dad went to be with the Lord and by God's providence I was reading this book on heaven by John MacArthur when I learned that uh, he'd been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, He died about three months later. But knowing where he was going... And the joy that was awaiting him helped me a great deal in my grief. Because rather than focus on my loss, I was able to rejoice in his gain. Let's not, even as Christians, get so wrapped up the things of this world that we've forgotten just how glorious a future awaits us. So let me leave you with this question. Is the focus of your life the fleeting pleasures of this world in which case you will fear death because it will mean leaving all those pleasures behind. Or is it on storing up treasures in heaven? In which case you will not need to fear death because it will mean falling asleep and waking up to see Jesus face to face in all his glory. To receive those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and join your master's happiness. Let's take to, word, to, to heart the words of Paul. He said, for me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in our frailty, with all our fears and our anxieties. There'll be some amongst us who are ill, 
some who are fearful of their health. There'll be those we know who are dying. Lord, we pray that um, you'd take away our fears. You'd help us to, to trust in you as the one who has control over life and death. Lord, reassure us with the wonderful comfort that this life is not the end. That the end of this life is the start of a whole new eternity with you. Lord, fill our, our hearts with wonder at uh, that prospect. And as you do so, may that help us in the way we live our lives today. May it give us an urgency and the need to tell those who don't yet know Jesus about uh, the wonderful hope that uh, they can have. And Lord, may it put everything in this world into perspective that we don't need to somehow control our lives, that we can hand them over to you and trust in you, in your love and your compassion and your sovereign power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that does bring us uh, to the end of our service uh, this evening. And my prayer is that uh, as you journey through the service tonight, that the Lord met with you, that he spoke to you, and that your heart has been greatly encouraged by your time. Uh, please, please, please do pray with someone before you go. If the Lord's laid something on your heart, uh, don't go uh, without first uh, praying. Pray with the person that you came with, or grab me. It'd be a, a privilege uh, to be able to pray with you uh, tonight. Some words to close. Um, 1 Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 5, 23 and 24, as Paul closes, he writes this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.